We are starting the show once again, though, with the latest news out of Hockey Canada. Scott Smith is out as Hockey Canada president and CEO, and the entire board of directors is stepping down. Smith was unable to survive the fallout related to Hockey Canada's handling of sexual assault allegations and how settlements were paid out that enraged the country. Many politicians have called for leadership change, and many corporate partners have paused sponsorship. Greg Strong, the Canadian Press. Joining us once again to talk more about this is Greg Galuli, lawyer, also Graham James assault survivor. Greg, thank you so much for making time for us once again. Well, thanks for having me on today. It's a, a historic day in Canadian hockey. It definitely is. And last time we were talking about there were so many calls for this to happen and wondering what was going to happen next. What is your response to hearing about the resignations? Well, look, it's not a day to celebrate anything. I mean, all of these people who got involved in Hockey Canada got involved for the right reasons. They wanted to help the game of hockey. They, they wanted to be a you know, positive force for good. Unfortunately, they found themselves in a situation and acted less than adequately and find themselves in this very much self-made problem and situation and they're no longer around. What does it say about how this all came about, though, in that it doesn't appear that these resignations, these resignations didn't come because they wanted to do the right thing. These resignations came because corporate sponsors and big money was leaving. Well, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, the only thing surprising about the announcement today is that it didn't happen a week or a month ago, right? It was time for leadership to go. Their positions were untenable given the response within the community generally and the sponsors and the participants within their programs. They they had to go. They should have gone sooner. Uh, they're good people who made mistakes. They are rightfully no longer involved in Hockey Canada. It, it, it's a sad situation all around. Do you think there's any way they could have responded faster or responded differently to the revelations of this fund being used to pay off, to pay out sexual assault allegations? Is there any way they could have responded differently and kept their jobs, kept the management to positions as they were? Well, that, that's what I think is so frustrating about all of this, because... Funding victims is a good thing. An organization like Hockey Canada should fund victims without forcing them to have to go to court and sue Hockey Canada. The problem is that Hockey Canada didn't follow through on the backside. They didn't continue investigating that hockey team. They wished the problem away. They shut down the investigation. They paid the money out of funds that had names on them that would lead the average person to believe money was going towards the building of the game, not the payment of uh, sexual assault settlements. And it's always the cover-up, right, that, that gets people in trouble. Had Hockey Canada come forward and said, look, hockey is a reflection of society. Unfortunately, sexual assault happens throughout society. We had a bad situation where some of our players... Uh, crossed the line and did a heinous thing where we had to compensate the victims. We stand up and support victims, but we're also going to follow through and ensure that justice is done and that anyone who was a part of that uh, crime, offense, assault, uh, pays the price. We are going to see to it. There's a way to do the right thing. Hockey Canada just didn't do the right thing.
Is there a chance that whoever forms the next board or uh, takes those positions that they are able to do the right thing, that they are able to perhaps get more information, hold somebody accountable? Because we still don't have that piece of the equation. Well, absolutely there is. And and I guess from a personal perspective, the frustrating thing has always been the argument that the lawyers and the Hockey Canada executives had uh, wrongly, it turned out, but they said that, look, we didn't have a victim who was cooperating with the investigation, so we had to shut things down. Well, we somehow investigate murders without having the victim around to testify. We still investigate everyone in the surrounding situation. We still have an ability to, to seek out facts. Absolutely, new people coming in will have the wherewithal to get to the bottom of what did or didn't happen. And there, there will be justice coming down the road. So what do you think is the main focus or should be the na- the main focus then as far as there's going to be an interim management committee that's going to be put in place until we get a new board and a new CEO? What needs to be the focus of both the management committee and when we get that new board? Well, I think it's as, as simple and yet as complicated as just focusing on hockey in Canada. That's the name of the organization, right? Hockey Canada. And and all of this has been about Hockey Canada and the board of Hockey Canada and the executives of Hockey Canada. Let's get back to focusing on hockey and Canada, apart from all of the people involved. Let's grow the game. Let's ensure that the, the people who run the game are focused on the game generally, not just winning international tournaments, but on getting more people to play. Let's focus on ensuring that those who participate in the programs are certainly not crossing lines or committing sexual assault. Let's ensure that they're being taught the right things to do, the the right way to act in our society. Because at the end of the day, the number of hockey players who play on national teams or move on to the pros, very small compared to the broad base of players who just play hockey because it's a wonderful game. Let's get our priorities straight again and let's focus on what's important. It sounds easy. It's going to be incredibly difficult, but I'm very optimistic. So is part of that then bringing in people or making sure there are people on the board who maybe hockey isn't their first focus? Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's it's relations, it's employee relations, or it's something else that's going to make sure that the new board is held accountable. Because we know people do tend to have short-term memories. We're all guilty of that. How do we know that in five years, or or how do we make sure, I guess, that in five years we're not having this conversation again? Well, that's right. Hockey should never be a prerequisite for running a hockey organization, but it certainly helps, right? I mean, if you can find someone and and a group of people with experience outside of hockey and within hockey, you want a mix of that. You want outside perspective. A familiarity with the game should never be a bad thing, though. Um, uh, And and to the extent you can find, and and there are, are lots of us out there, right? You know, trained lawyers with vast experience in corporate governance and sexual assault matters. There's unfortunately a subset of us out there. Um, but, but absolutely, hockey need not be a prerequisite to running Hockey Canada or being a part of the leadership group of Hockey Canada. We just need common sense. Do you think this is enough then? Obviously, the sponsors are needed. There's a reason why that money leaving was enough to to rattle things up a bit to, to cause this change. Uh, there would be no reason, I would think, if that change is, is achieved, that the sponsorship money wouldn't come back. Do you think people will remember, though, which sponsors left and which ones didn't? 
I, I think it's it's very difficult to assess that right now. I, I, I think that what will matter is not what happened in the past so much as what happens on a go-forward basis. And sponsors love to be attached to stories that make people feel good. And to the extent that Hockey Canada can, can right this ship and make things better and grow and, and be the force within our nation that it should be, Sponsors are going to want to flock to Hockey Canada. But as we've seen over the past few weeks, the moment that something goes wrong, sponsors want nothing to do with you. And so you have to be laser-like focused on ensuring that you are a positive and productive element within society and not something that drags down because sponsorships will flee. And Greg, like you said, this is it should be about the game. It should be about people that want to play the game. It should be about growing the game and and such. And obviously, this needs to be discussed. And this wasn't handled correctly. But how does how do you see it moving forward? As far as I suppose getting back on track. And again, there will be the interim board, the real board. Will it have a will it upset the game in the future, or will will things be able to get back on track? Do you think rather quickly? I think it's going to be a bit of both. I think it's, it's, it's easy to change leadership and start sending new messages. It's difficult to win over uh, an element of cynicism that the general public and the sponsors and everyone who's been, been burned through, throughout this process uh, have encountered in recent times. That said, it's unfortunate that memories are short, but in in this situation, it, it may be to Hockey Canada's advantage that memories are short and that people will forget as long as Hockey Canada going forward does the right thing. But I think that the pressure on new Hockey Canada will be extreme. It will be inordinate and there will be no room for mistakes going forward. Hockey Canada is going to have to hit the right mark right from the get-go and it's going to have to earn back trust. And what about other organizations? And we touched on this before when we were talking that, yes, we've been focused so much on Hockey Canada and on these specific cases, but we are starting to hear from other sports now saying, well, wait a minute, there are issues here too. Maybe not to the same extent as what we've seen here, but certainly issues being raised. Will this serve then as kind of a template or as a warning to other sports uh, agencies, don't let this happen to you? Well, I, I think because of hockey's place within our society, the, the bright lights shine on hockey. And so to the extent that hockey becomes a symbol for, for what is happening within other, other sports and what has to happen to change to make the, the sport better, I, I think that that's very true. Look, a group of athletes in, in bobsled skeleton approached me to run for their board, and their board meeting fell apart, and current leadership simply up and left the meeting in a proxy fight. And Like, it was a complete gong show. This is happening outside of hockey. And the, the problem that, that we as a nation face is that vested interests often get in the way of people who get involved or want to get involved and do the right thing in sports. And so in many ways, it's good that hockey is the sport dealing with the problems because now the other sports will have to face their, their day of reckoning because these problems happen all over the place, both within sport and other sports and outside of sports generally. Hockey can serve as a wonderful example as to how we can get things right when things go wrong. All right, Greg Galuli, again, thank you so much for your time today and for coming back on the show. Appreciate it. Well, thanks very much for having me on. 
Well, we talked about this on the show on the holiday Monday. Vancouver police saying they responded to more than 1,200 calls over the long weekend. And there were a lot, more than 150 priority one calls. That's an emergency call. There were many calls with dangerous weapons, assaults in progress, six people injured during a stabbing. That goes right into the whole revolving door of justice story as well. One person shot with a crossbow protests that you name it. Well, we wanted to talk a little bit more about property crime, and this wasn't something involved in those calls, but a downtown Vancouver business owner is speaking out after being targeted by thieves once again. It's the fifth time this year, and it was the second time in the span of a week. Talking about business owner Sebastian Cortez, he has a butcher in the downtown core of Vancouver, and while he was waiting for police, another person tried to break in to his store. There is plywood where there should be glass. And he spoke to Global News showing on and talking about his frustration. Saturday afternoon, I was leaving work and um, I heard someone yelling. So I was about, a, you know, I walked and I was about a block away from the shop. I turn around and I see this guy kicking my, my windows again. Another guy, another suspect. And uh, yeah, I ended up chasing him down. So like, it, it's just happens every single every single day probably almost every hour every minute there's some crime happening in vancouver and so i don't know we're just trying to figure out what to do uh, the police is getting frustrated as well because they they keep telling me they keep catching these guys and they get they just go to court and they get dismissed or released uh, even before some paperwork is done i mean it's it's just absolutely crazy something needs to change that is Sebastian Cortez, the owner of Sebastian & Co. He's actually going to join Jazz Joe Hall later on today and talk with Jazz on his program. We wanted to talk more about this, though, because even in this case, Cortez saying it wasn't the amount of things that were taken, even though that is a violation of his rights and people walking into a store and helping themselves. It wasn't so much, though, the value of what was taken. It's now the hassle and cost of buying new glass, putting up a new door, and you can't just have plot plywood at the front of your store and just leave it like that. Well, we wanted to talk more about this and kind of looking at the downtown core as a whole. So joining us now is Wally Wargalette, Executive Director of the Gastown Business Improvement Association. Wally, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jill. When you hear these stories, and I know you see this in Gastown as well, but looking at the downtown as a whole and the parts of Vancouver, how do you respond to what we're seeing as far as break-ins, property crime, this type of thing? Well, I mean, I think, you know, frustration is that is that exact word. Um, and, you know, we've had some situations here in Gastown as well uh, with multiple break-ins and, and a lot of vandalism. And I think folks have just reached that point of, um, you know, almost like, what do we, you know, what do we do next? And what I always tell my friends and and folks that I talk with all the time is that the one thing folks can do right now is just support your local businesses, especially those that have been impacted um, by by vandalism and break-ins. They, the only way they're going to survive is uh, if we support them. And and, uh, so please go out and do that. How was it? I know we talked a lot during the pandemic and the lack of tourists and cruise ship patrons and and people that were coming to the areas. How was it this past summer? It was really, really good, to be frank, Jill. I mean, certainly we're we're not even close to where we were pre-pandemic as far as overall numbers go, but it was a very solid 
start to see that tourism flow back into our neighborhood, the vibrancy. You know, you come down here during the day, at nighttime, a lot of folks out and about, uh, patios are full. So it, we're, we're really starting to see some of that economic recovery. But uh, we are years away from having full economic recovery. One of the things that we get concerned about in talking to our members is a lot of the supports uh, from the governments have uh, subsided. And some of those, you know, interest-free loans are starting to come due. And right now, uh, like I said, support of local business is going to be important for the survival of many of uh, many of our members. And when you look around, certainly we see in parts of Vancouver and again, the business owner we just heard from, uh, there's still plywood up where there should be glass at his front door. How does that affect or impact a community, not only for the business owners when they have glass broken, when they're the, the victims of property crime, but also tourists and tourists walking around seeing plywood where there should be windows? Yeah, I mean, it's not a good look, right? Let's be very frank. It's not uh, It's not a cosmetic thing that we want folks to see, but it is happening throughout our throughout our city. And to, to be frank, it's one of the things that uh, I, I work very closely with uh, BIABC. It's a group of uh, BIAs throughout the province. And one of the things that we, we've been working on and we're going to be providing to the provincial government very soon here is a uh, a grant for vandalism to help uh, our businesses recover here in the cost of replacing windows or you know different security systems that have been put in. Uh, we we are going to really need that kind of support in order to in order to see this plywood be replaced by glass, and then we're going to have to see some real change in uh, how we are uh, kind of. Uh, holding folks accountable for their actions. It's one of the things that I think is probably really frustrated. Uh, in fact, there was a report that just came out a couple of weeks ago, the butler Lapard report that the province put to- together last four months about this specific issue. There's a lot of repeat offenders out there who are creating some of these issues. And what are we going to do to start holding folks accountable and get them the help they need? That, those are the things that we really need to stay focused on right now. Right. And I guess finding the balance between those two issues as well. One, finding people the supports to try and stop this from happening, because it also seems like uh, it's understandable that businesses need would need a grant or would need help for to, to respond from vandalism. But then it's almost like making it so it's going to continue happening and we're into that cycle of it happens, we fix it, it happens, we fix it to no end. You're absolutely right. And so I think that that's why uh, some of the recommendations from this report and, and, and frankly, stuff that uh, the business community has been asking for a long time is, you know, when are we going to triage the current state of our problems that we have in, in our uh, throughout our province? Let's, let's face it. I, when I talk to uh, executive directors throughout um, the uh, province and other business communities, they're all experiencing this. And so it's time to identify that uh, there isn't one solution to fix the root issues of these, some of these issues. Some of these are issues are, are mental health issues. Some of these are addiction issues. And some of them are just pure crime. There are folks who are, who are you know, committing crimes and are not being held accountable. So, you know, having a multi-pronged strategy to start to address these issues is necessary. And frankly, it starts with the province. And they've been very quiet. Um, they have not been very supportive. You know, many of uh, business leaders and our community leaders have reached out to the ministers. And right now, I think we uh, are disappointed that there is a focus on a leadership race and not a focus on taking care of the citizens in this province. And it has to change.
Hmm. And you're right, because the focus so much at the provincial level right now is the leadership race, where we're also seeing the focus of crime and safety being front and center for a lot of the candidates in the civic election. But uh, we're also talking about things that aren't even in that jurisdiction. 100%. And I mean, I think that that really needs to be the focus of whoever is going to be the next premier is what are you going to what are you going to be the solutions to some of the issues that we have here and and finally get to the root causes of uh, some of the problems that we have on our on our streets uh, around poverty uh, around addiction uh, treatments these are these are you know core things that have to be addressed and uh, funding has to be put towards them or to your point Jill we're just going to see a cycle of this happen time and time again Uh, it is time for some real solutions. In the meantime though what do you tell business owners or what do you also hear from business owners who are just so frustrated not knowing it's not a question I would imagine of am I going to get broken into again but the question now is when am I going to get hit again? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I hate having those conversations, and you're right, I, we do have them quite quite a lot, and, and it's the reason why what we tried to stay focused on is getting folks into our, our neighborhoods and supporting our businesses. It's really the, the best thing that we can do. Uh, we try to stay uh, positive and optimistic, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had uh, better words to use, Jill, but it is I think we've all reached this level of frustration, and now it just comes down to we, we have to remain positive. Because if we do not, uh, the uh, outcome there is not positive. Uh, you know, it'll be businesses closing because they just can't uh, manage through this, and we cannot have that happen in our community. All right. Wally, always good to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us and for talking more about this today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jill. Have a good day. Well, even if you've never read Vogue magazine, you probably know that it's a pretty big deal in the fashion world and a lot of people read that magazine. Well, it has just listed the Okanagan as a place to visit, calling it one of 12 underrated wine regions, according to wine experts. So how is this news being received in the Okanagan? Joining us to talk more about this is Laura Kitmer, Communications Director for Wine. Wine Growers BC. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, this was pretty exciting. Vogue magazine, the Vogue magazine, has now listed the Okanagan as one of the 12 underrated wine regions to visit this fall. Uh, what uh, is your response to seeing this mentioned in Vogue? Well, we're very excited to see uh, British Columbia and the Okanagan Valley listed on this uh, prestigious list in vogue. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not a surprise uh, to see it as listed as an underrated region because we are still, uh, as it's hard to believe here in British Columbia because we know our wine so well, uh, on the international stage, we are still... Uh, not not as uh, the, the, the awareness isn't out there as much as we may think it is because we are such a small wine region in the world of wine and and uh, 30 plus years uh, while we see ourselves as, as established with our winemaking and the quality of our wine it's still a relatively young region in the world of wine. 
That makes sense. I think you're right. We tend to, if, we're, if you're from BC or if you've been to the Okanagan, to any of the wineries, you think about it and it's it's well known perhaps within the province, but not so much outside those boundaries. Uh, does, does having a mention in a magazine like this, an established, very well-read magazine, does that make a difference or do you think it will make a difference as far as people coming to visit? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, the more media coverage on our wine region and the wines, the better for our wine region. I know with uh, coming off a couple years here now of of restricted travel, uh, something like this is huge for our region to to get uh, to get this on the minds of those outside of Canada, where they're planning, where they want to take their next trip to consider the Okanagan Valley and to consider BC, not only for everything else that is available at your fingertips here, like the, the skiing and the, and the lakes and the hiking, but also thinking about the wine. And it is one of the most beautiful wine regions to visit in the world. And we've heard that from media and people that have come here and experienced the region from other places in the world. And, and the more that gets out there and in a publication like Vogue, um, it's, it's very exciting. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's a great thing for, for the industry and the region. And even the descriptions in Vogue, uh, when they talk about it, uh, the mountain ranges punctuated by large, breathtaking lakes uh, with the rolling vineyards. Uh, and even the magazine mentions that too, saying relatively new winemaking means much of the wine is produced in Canada. Uh, so it's unknown to some other wine lovers. But it's also mentioned as well that uh, I think I'm correct in saying that, that the Okanagan region was the only Canadian region that was named. And it's going up or it's in the mix with some pretty well established established and well-known other wine regions in the world. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree. That's, it's, it's, it's an honor to be on this list with, uh, with other underrated, <laughs> as they say. But, I mean, a lot of these wine regions I haven't heard of either, and they're in uh, very well-known regions like Italy and Spain and the U.S., France, but, uh, but smaller wine regions that are that are starting to come to the forefront because of the quality of wines they're producing and maybe it's not a lot and that's certainly where BC fits in the world of wine we are we are small production we don't have a lot of wine but the wines that we are making here are 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 amongst some of the best in the world and that is what's going to put us on the map and 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 the landscapes, as they mentioned, it's a it's a beautiful wine region. So it's certainly attracting not only wine critics who are coming and tasting the wines, but also travel writers who are coming and experiencing the beauty of the region and and uh, and then the wines, of course, to go with that. The article specifically mentioned a number of wineries in the Okanagan, including places like Painted Rock, like Quails Gate. Uh, do you think, will there be a bit of a rivalry that some got actual mentions rather than others? Or is it more kind of bring people to the region and then let them discover the wineries? What is the saying? <laughs> the tide raises all boats. So, no, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, there there are a handful of wineries that are certainly more well-known because they may have wines available outside of Canada. And that is what attracts people to the wine region. And once you're here, um, the beauty of it is you can you can experience a handful of wineries within a few kilometers of each other. So if, if someone comes to Quail's Gate, 
then they will probably be recommended from someone at Coilgate to visit their neighbor down the road or another region such as Skaha Bench where Painted Rock is located. And then uh, once you're down at Skaha Bench, why not hit and try the Naramata Bench? And, and that's, that's the community um, that we have here in, in British Columbia too amongst the wineries is it's not just about visiting one winery. It's about experiencing as many wineries in that region as possible and really getting the full experience. So, uh, so no, I, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think wineries will be upset to see some of their colleagues listed in the article. I think they'll be, uh, very happy to see, uh, to see the region put on that, uh, put on that, that, uh, that platform. Uh, you mentioned as well, uh, obviously, the pandemic had an impact on the Okanagan region. What about the weather as far as uh, some phenomenal weather happening right now? We know it was a very cool June. Has that had an impact or will that have an impact when it comes to the wines as we head into the fall? So I know winemakers are very, very happy with the weather right now. It's, uh, it was a late start to harvest this year. But then again, every year, these last five years, the, the weather has been extreme as we are on that 50th parallel. So, um, so, so it was a late start. It was a late bud break in the spring, just due to that cooler spring that we experienced. Um, and then we're having the phenomenal weather now in, uh, in September, October, September was, the, was uh, one of the most, uh, most growing degree days in BC over the last decade. So that, uh, that really um, helps with the ripening of the grapes. And then we're starting to see the, the evening start to drop, which, which helps retain that acidity. So we're getting textbook uh, conditions right now for harvest and, and wineries are very pleased with the long sunny days right now. So the fruit is coming in clean, is coming in fresh and and well, so uh, so no, it's uh, it, it was a, a later start to harvest this year, but the grapes are ripening with these nice sunny days over the last few few weeks and months, and it's looking like a great harvest. Will that have an impact? Do you think then on taste or flavor? The the fact that there has been kind of that shift in the timing of the season. Wineries are are saying it's it's maybe one of the cooler vintages over the last few years. I mean, we've come off a, a few hot vintages. So having that cooler vintage can, uh, can certainly affect the, uh, the, the grapes and the taste of the wine. Just again, having a little more freshness, vibrancy, natural acidity in the, in the wines. Um, usually in a cooler vintage year, the wines can age well because they have that tannin and structure and acidity. So, uh, so it's nice to see a, a cooler vintage on the horizon that we're seeing this year. And, uh, and again, in British Columbia, every vintage is different. So that's, that's what makes the wines unique. And, uh, and if you like a, a hotter, uh, more robust uh, wine, then, then maybe look to the 2021 vintage. If you like a more elegant, um, uh, fresh, uh, acidic, uh, wine, then, then that may be what we see coming from the 2022 vintage. All right. Good to know. Absolutely. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for doing this and congratulations for the mention in Vogue. So great to chat with you.
You too. Thank you so much, Jill, for the opportunity. It's an exciting time, and, and harvest is well underway, so wineries are, are uh, uh, they're open, they're welcoming visitors, and it's an exciting time to be in wine country. Well, I saw this story and thought, wow, what must have happened during the time little Izzy was missing? Izzy is a Pomeranian and joining me to talk about the theft and the strange return of Izzy is Christy Rogers. Izzy actually belongs to her dad, but Christy is here to talk more about what happened. Thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, of course. The story of Izzy, and thankfully, we are talking about this today because there was a happy ending. But take us back to the beginning. What happened with Izzy and Izzy going missing? Yeah, okay. So my my dad, um, he was in New West. He had to run for a, a meeting or something. I'm, I'm not entirely sure I wasn't there, but um, he had parked in an underground parking lot and um, left his windows down about four inches, all of them. Um, his little dog goes everywhere with him, but she just couldn't go in this specific building. Um, so he left her in the covered parking lot with her water and the windows down. Uh, and when he came back, she was gone. <laughs> and, I mean, Izzy is five pounds. She's eight years old. She is about seven or eight inches tall. She's tiny. She cannot jump out of that truck. Uh, there's no way that she could have exited the vehicle on her own. Um, so, you know, Dad went straight to the New Westminster Police Department and made a report. Um, and then, yeah, we started. Then, then I, <laughs> then I started looking. So, that must have just been. And Izzy, am I correct in saying so? Izzy, you described her great, but Izzy's a, a Pomeranian. She is. She's a little teacup pom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I real I looked at this as well. N- not only was your dad parked in, uh, in this parking lot where he left Izzy with the water, but I understand too this was actually in a disabled parking spot in the in the parking lot. Yeah, uh, Dad's disabled, so he was in a he was in the handicap uh, parking stall. Uh, he's got the sticker and everything. He's allowed to be there. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so he, it, and it was right next to the parking meter and underneath of a surveillance camera as well. Um, so, you know, he, he didn't, he wasn't, you know, he thought that for all intents and purposes, it was, she was, she was going to be safe there while he had to run and do his thing. Right. And I'm guessing he probably wasn't out of the truck for too, too long. No, no, not too long. I'm not. I'm not 100% on the timing, and I'd have to talk to Dad, but, um, you know, regardless, I I understand, you know, there's some strong feelings about about dogs being left in cars, and I I share that sentiment. Um, On this particular day, um, it wasn't necessarily hot. Izzy was covered. The windows were down. She is, I mean, she's so small. It's, It's a big truck. There was you know, there wasn't an issue. And however, even if there was, even if, you know, she did appear to be in distress, the right thing to do would have been to, you know, maybe call the SPCA or mm-hmm. maybe call the the authorities and say, listen, I'm worried about this dog. Um, but what we are, are believing has happened and, and the police are still looking into it is that somebody reached into the window and, and took her out. Um, you know, because Izzy wound up in West Vancouver, <laughs> So New West to West Vancouver, that's a 43-minute drive on a good day. 
And for a five-pound Pomeranian, I mean, that's not a journey that would be made successfully without assistance. Right. No, gosh, absolutely not. And yeah, and yeah. I wasn't implying that that your dad had done anything wrong. You're right. There are a no, lot of opinions I know, I know, about but, that. But uh, he he put her in a in a safe place while he ran an errand, which I mean, people yeah, do that all the time. Sure. For sure. They do. But I, but I just I just wanted to say, you know, because when I I uh, started sharing it on social media and of course I got I got a lot of support, mostly support. And then there was you know, a couple people that were quite negative. Well, who leaves a dog in a car? You know, I hope whoever took her treats her better and things like that. Just terrible, mm. mean, awful things, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so my point is, regardless, like there's better ways to handle a situation if you think that the dog's in distress um, than stealing it. So, yeah, absolutely. What happened next then? Your dad must have been just beside himself coming back to the truck, realizing that his dog was gone. Like you said, he went to the New Westminster police. What happened next? Yeah, so he went straight to the police. He made a report and then uh, he texted me and he said, Izzy's been taken from my truck. And I te- I texted him back. I said, what? What, what do you mean? <laughs> I thought he was just I thought he was just, you know, I don't, I didn't even know what he was saying. So I said, I, so I called him. I said, what's going on? He said, I was parked here and she's gone. And I said, well, what do you mean she's gone? <laughs> you know, and then I, I, I myself, you know, got a little heated with dad. I said, why, why did you leave her in the truck? You know, and he's just like, and then, and then I realized, you know, wait a minute. He's so upset. He's, he's literally crying. And this man doesn't cry okay mm. and he's like I'm already beating myself up about it like don't, and I was like okay okay I'm sorry <laughs> okay what are what are we doing so he told me about the police report and so then I took a couple photos that I have of Izzy because obviously she's been in our family for eight years um, and I made a poster and um, went on a couple different social media groups and posted it as everywhere that I could uh, I printed that poster. I walked around New West and put them all over the place. Um, we, I sent an email to a bunch of different news stations, radio stations, um, veterinarians, just trying to get the word as far as we possibly could. And what happened then at uh, at th- this point? Because you said she she was found quite far away. So so you put this out there, and again, anybody who's a dog owner or lover would know that sense the anxiety of putting up those posters and just hoping for the best. Uh, you put everything up. So when did you find out where Izzy was and that she had been found? Yeah. So um, on. A Sunday at about 12.30, midnight, um, I got a text message from somebody uh, claiming that he thinks that he might have found Izzy because she looks similar to the photo that I posted. However, he doesn't know if it's her because of the distance. And so, oh, my cat is losing his mind. Um, (laughs) And so uh, I just responded to him and I said, well, sir, you know, we believe that Izzy was stolen and near a SkyTrain station, so she could be anywhere. Um, and he sent me a photo, and it wasn't the best quality photo because um, he had her, like, covered in a blanket. Honestly, I couldn't even tell if she was alive, and that got me really nervous. And then, um, you know, I was texting him, but I guess he had fallen asleep, so he wasn't answering me. So um, basically, I just informed the officer that was in charge of the case. Uh, he told us not to go there, you know, because it is an open investigation because 
um, they're reviewing the footage and all that. So um, they went and retrieved Izzy. Uh, they had Vancouver Police Department go pick Izzy up from the West Vancouver home. The Vancouver Police Department drove her to the New West Police Department, and the New West Police Department held her until I got there to identify her. <laughs> so it was a bit of a process. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's been on a journey. And when you got there, then did you know right away that it was her? Absolutely. So I was waiting. They have kind of this little lobby. You can't go in. Um, so I was waiting in the in the front hall, and I saw Izzy come out around the corner first, and I knew it was her immediately. So I was just elated. I was so happy. And <laughs> Izzy, she's she's very little. So I said, hi, Izzy. You know, she was just going to the door. She thought she was going for a walk. And, um, and then... Um, you know, I got down on my on my knees and I said, I said, hello. And then uh, <laughs> it took her a minute. And uh, and then she realized it was me and she started freaking out and jumping around. And the officer was like, oh, it took her a minute to, you know, see it was you. And I was like, well, she can't see up that high. You know, she's got to, <laughs> she's got <laughs> she's to get, yeah. So it was a really, it was a really good moment. I was so happy to see that she was okay. She was um, really thirsty, very hungry, dehydrated. Um, kind of lethargic so she's been to the vet and had a checkup and you know she just I just think whatever whatever happened she was um you know she was just out and about for a long time and I don't know I don't know I mean I mean we don't know we don't know what happened you know right so you don't know how she ended up and I understand that she was quite dirty as well when she when she was found in that yard in West Vancouver but you have no idea then how she ended up from your dad's truck in New Westminster to that yard in West Van no idea at all no um and yeah so uh, the gentleman that found her said that she was dirty in his yard and he said that he bathed her um so we didn't actually see her covered in dirt because he had bathed her. So, um, yeah, but that, I mean, we have no idea. I, I just, the, the, you know, the Facebook post was shared over 400 times, and obviously the police were involved. They tweeted it out. Um, the transit police, Constable Julie Turtle, was absolutely incredible. I mean, she 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 couldn't sleep. She was calling me and, like, committing to going and doing foot patrols all around you know, Surrey and New West. And I mean, so many people just like it was it was it was they were so supportive and it was really, really nice, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as as I can speculate, she was taken from the truck. Somebody took her, you know, out to the West Vancouver area, maybe saw all of the online presence of people looking for her, decided it was too risky to keep her and, and let her loose. Hmm. And, you know, that's a that's the part that kind of has, you know, dad and I upset because she could have been, I mean, she's a tiny dog. West Vancouver, there's, there's animals, there's traffic. Yeah. You know, she could have, it could have so easily had a terrible ending. Well, I'm so glad that it didn't have a terrible ending and that Izzy is back (laughs) with you guys. Christy, thank you so much for joining us and for telling this story. Yeah, I appreciate your time.